Welcome to the Fire the Family podcast. Did you know the average American is behind on their retirement savings? Imagine if your family could learn to budget, save, and invest enough to become financially independent. I'm here to show you through my own experience exactly how you can get on the path to financial independence and reach retirement on or before the age of 65. From age 19 to 28, Kayla and I have been married for nine years, had three boys, and earned four degrees combined with no student loan debt, and have taken our household income from zero to over $130,000 a year. We both want to invite you to firethefamily.com, where we have free tools and resources that you can use to get started on your financial independence journey. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, welcome to episode 21 of the Fire the Family podcast. I'm Nick, and as always, I want to just take a quick moment of gratitude to just tell you thank you. Uh, Thank you for being a part of the journey. Thank you for uh, visiting the website. Thank you for listening along with me here today. Uh, I know getting a little bit of your attention isn't easy, and I definitely want to make sure that I'm making the best of the attention that I have. And whether you're here for just a few minutes of the episode or you're going to listen to the whole thing, um, I appreciate you. And if uh, you want to support the channel, you can simply uh, rate us in whatever platform that you're listening today or share it with a friend, share it with somebody that might get some additional value out of it. I definitely appreciate that. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, frequently asked questions. These are the most frequently asked questions that I get about the financial independence, retire early, fire movement. And when I talk about you know, the fire movement in front of people uh, in, in, uh, in within context of talking about personal finance topics, I usually get like a deer in the headlights look. People don't typically know what I'm talking about. And I think that's amazing because uh, anytime that you can create kind of a, rem- a memorable adju- or adjective acronym uh, for something that's going to, you know, kind of a lifestyle change, it's going to help people, um, you know, make positive change in their life. Um, I get really excited about it. Because when I learn about something new and it's catchy and I can remember it and I can clearly explain it to my wife, I, uh, I like it and it's easy for me to get on board with it. And I think the practice of uh, financial independence, uh, retire early, whether or not you want to actually retire early, uh, I think the practice is really great. Um, it teaches you to be in control of your money. It teaches you to help others be in control of their money. It teaches you to live a more minimal lifestyle and quality over quantity and all those things that come along with personal finance. And in my opinion, I've been studying this for over a decade, and the practice of the FIRE movement is the most kind of the most pure practice I've been able to find in uh, the personal finance community. And typically... You find a guru, that guru has a process or a program that they're going to sell to you and or they read a book and that book is used by multi-level marketing uh, schemes and uh, I'm talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and uh, leverage the those concepts that are age-old concepts. They're just repackaged for a new purpose and they use those, right? And to, to not to help you get to a better place financially, but to kind of use you as a victim and take more money from you. And that's not what the fire community has been all about. It's been about just education and data and numbers and uh, science. I mean, tons of things go into um, being able to prove that if you stay the course of investing and um, working hard and increasing your income and decreasing your expenses, that you'll get to a point in your life where um, you may have the opportunity to uh, actually quit work at a younger age than the traditional retirement age. And that's really what fire movement is all about, having that um, opportunity to do that and really taking control over your money and setting your family up for a financial uh, success in their future. 
So who is fire for? The fire movement is pretty much for anyone who wants to achieve it. And I'm going to be very, uh, very clear here when I say that everybody needs to reach financial independence at some point in their life, whether that's today or 20 years from now or at the age of 65 uh, or, or whatever age it is, there's going to be a point in time where you can no longer work for an income. And it's at that point where you need to have had enough money either saved up or available to you via like insurance or life insurance or a policy, right? That if you were injured or something like that, that you are going to be taken care of for the rest of your life and as to not end up a burden on the people around you and the people that you love. And so when we talk about um, the path to retirement age at the age of 65, Right now, over half of Americans are not on track to be able to, be able to take care of themselves financially uh, at that age, at the age where they are probably thinking about being done working. I don't know how late you plan on working in your life, but I probably don't plan working much past the age of 65. And if I do, it's going to be in a, a probably a very minimal context, maybe a volunteerism, maybe teaching, something really low impact, obviously. And uh, there's not going to there's going to be zero manual labor coming out of me when I'm 65 or 70 years old. So I know that I need to have a nest egg built up that's going to support me from the age of 60, 65 to 100 to 90 to 85. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but statistically, I'm going to live to probably, uh, you know, most men in America will live to be about 84 years old, I think is the most recent number. So from the age of 65 to 84, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to pay for food? How are you going to pay for your rent or your shelter? How are you going to, uh, pay for gas in your car? How are you going to pay for a car? How are you going to pay car insurance, right? Like you're going to still have a lot of bills, um, a lot of a lot of things that you're going to need to financially take care of. If you're not financially independent, you can't, you can't, you know, be rest assured that you're going to be taken care of. And the responsibility then gets transferred to the government, gets transferred to your, your, uh, maybe your siblings, your spouse, maybe your kids, right? And I don't want that for my future. And so for me, it makes sense to say, hey, we all need to reach financial independence. We all need to retire someday. There's going to be a point in time where we can no longer work for an income. Okay. So now that we all agree on that, um, we need to plan for it. If you plan on retiring at age 65, you have probably a lot of time to get your, your ducks in a row, get your finances straight and start investing for that plan. And once you've identified that plan or that goal, you can then work backwards from it. So you say, hey, I have 35 years left until retirement. I need to save this much each month and earn this rate of return in order to reach that goal. That's exactly what fire the fire movement is. Uh, it's ex- except for some people that are a part of it in the community, their goals, their timeline is shortened a little bit. Some people want to retire at 40, some people at 45 or 50. And I say retire lightly. When I say retire... I mean, having options. I mean, being able to take opportunities uh, that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to take. I don't plan on quitting working at 40 years old or 45 years old, but I also uh, don't want to miss opportunities when it comes to, I'm talking about work, when it comes to work or how I make my income uh, when I'm in my, in my forties and fifties. I don't want to be a slave to a job that I dislike because I absolutely have to rely on that income. And that is really what this is all about for me uh, personally. I want to set myself up for a financial future that is is low stress, secure, and 
provides more opportunity for my family and me to get some experience out of the life that we're living. That's what fire move means to me. And so when, when I talk about financial independence, retire early, like people get cringy and kind of weird about the retire early part, especially the media. And it's because they don't understand it and they haven't, uh, they haven't looked at it for themselves and really finding their own uh, intrinsic reward for um, working really hard to get your finances under control. And so once you've done that, it's like, man, the fire movement can be for anybody. And it can be for people that want to be really extreme and just save a ton of money and invest it. Or it can be for people that want to go a more leisurely pace and enjoy life a little bit more and spend a little bit more on things that are important to them. And really, so it's kind of like I like to joke when I go out and have a beer. Um, people will say, oh, I don't like beer. It's like, eh, you just haven't found the right one yet. There's a millions and millions of different uh, beers out there, and they're all different. They all have different nuances and different flavors and different uh, alcohol content and different uh, properties that make them just u- infinitely unique from others out there. And the fire movement is, is much of the same. There's every single person I've met so far and talked to in the fire community is doing it for a completely different reason. And I just think that that's such an amazing thing that we can all uh, exist in this universe and and, um, have different uh, goals and wants and desires, but really using the same formula to get there. And that's really exciting to me. I covered the next one. Do I really want to retire early? So I'm not going to go much into depth there. I already did. The goal is to be free to choose who I work for, where I work, what projects I work on. And again, I don't ever want to work a job I hate because I have to pay the bills. Uh, That is like my worst fear (laughs) is having to spend, you know, every day showing up to a job that I just dislike uh, just because, you know, I absolutely have to rely on that job for an income. Is fire a fad? I would say yes and no. Uh, I think fire and all of its different you know flavors are definitely worthy of a fad status, and that's just because um, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting, and a whole younger generation is really um, consider. You know, I wouldn't say a whole generation is considering it, but a lot of a lot more people are considering it in this generation, I think, than the past generations are or did for financial independence. And uh, but you know the the principles have been around for ages. The simplicity of the message is its strength, in my opinion. So I'm a believer in getting people interested and spreading the message of financial independence. Uh, it can be considered a fad, but the idea of saving more than you earn and investing for a more secure future is going to always be around as long as there's money. There's always going to be people that are smart with what is endowed to them, that they are able to save and save more than what they earn. And not, well, that doesn't make sense. Save more than they spend is what I should say. And those people are always going to exist as long as there's money. Can I fire with a family? Yes. Yes, absolutely you can. And many of the people that are in the fire community have kids. Uh, We decided to have kids at a really young age. And so for us, it's like always just been a part of it. Our budget and our spending has always just kind of grown. It's grown, but not, not like at a crazy staggering pace that you would think for having three kids. And for us, it's like I said, it's just always been there. And so we don't really know any other way, Um, but we are able to achieve a very high savings rate regularly without, without depriving us or our kids of anything that they, uh, you know, want or need. And the picture, as I'm looking at this on our, on my website, firethefamily.com, the picture of us, a family photo, uh, the boys are wearing Nike shoes. My oldest has a Gatorade. 
They are all they are wearing Green Bay Packers jerseys. I'm wearing a North Face hoodie. My wife's wearing a North Face North Face fleece. I'm wearing a pair of Nike shoes. You know, like we don't we don't necessarily want for anything, um, but we were able to reach a really high savings rate. And also, I think it's important to note that we don't make you know two hundred thousand dollars a year as a family, uh, where it's that would be really really easy thing to achieve. Uh, talking about a high savings rate and a high income, so you have people that work in like California that'll make two to three hundred thousand dollars a year as a family that are going to try to teach you how to be financially independent. And I just think it's kind of a joke because yeah, you should you should reach financial independence really quickly if you're making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, I understand California's expensive, but there's a there's a blog post that I definitely have some uh, issues with out there floating around on the internet talking about how hard it is to support a family on like three hundred K a year. And I just want I want to uh, get a chance to talk about that one in person. But that's neither here nor there. But the answer is yes. You absolutely can reach financial independence uh, with a family. And kids will definitely slow down the journey. They're definitely going to impact it. But if it wasn't for my kids, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have pushed myself so hard to get the education that I've gotten. And I wouldn't have uh, pushed myself so hard to get the jobs that I've uh, gone after. And so a lot of it was, uh, a lot of where we're at today is because we had kids. And so I think that if anything, they, they help along that journey because now you have a really strong intrinsic why as to why you should, or why, yeah, why you should, uh, look at something like financial independence, even with a family. What are the different types of fire? So the different types of financial independence, there's a bunch and every day there's more coming out. But at the time of writing this, there was just a handful, uh, fat fire, lean fire, barista fire, family fire. That's the one I started and coast fire. And fat fire basically is reaching financial independence where you're able to pay yourself enough in retirement, uh, each month but it's like way above what your budget is. And so you're still able to go on vacations and drive nice cars and do whatever it is that you want to do, have, you know, eat out whenever you want, that kind of stuff. That's getting into the realm of fat fire. It's fat pockets, like, right? Like having a lot of money. Lean fire is the opposite. Lean fire is being able to just minimally, you know, reach, reach financial independence, being able to retire with minimal, uh, pulling out minimal money from your, from your retirement account. And lean fire is like, it's, they're both the extremes of the, of the spectrum. Right. And then in between that is barista fire, coast fire. Uh, there's a bunch of them, but barista fire is basically reaching financial independence and then working at like Starbucks to get the benefits and still make some sort of an income. And, uh, that's barista fire. That's how I always thought that was kind of a funny one when I was getting into this whole thing and, and looking at it, uh, coast fire, uh, definitely isn't retiring at a beach, but it is a, uh, and I really like this one. I think this is the one that a lot, a lot of people, the young people can, can get to and, and a quick, and get a quick win under their belt. Coast fire is saving enough money early enough in your life that you can stop contributing to your retirement accounts and still reach that financial independence number. So for example, if your financial independence number is a million dollars, there's a point on a graph and a formula that you can use that says, hey, if you save this much, let's say by the age of 30, you can stop contributing and that money will likely grow uh, to reach that $1 million by the time you're 40, 50, 60 years old. And th- that's a really neat number to know because while that's like a pretty big risk to take to stop contributing, what I think a lot of people can do is invest in like really aggressively, really young, and then taper it off as they get older. Once they get to that number and they're like, hey, you know, I'm already there. I've already got this one in the bag. Now it's just, now I'm just hedging my bets. I'm making sure I'm I'm kind of 
being a little risk adverse here and making sure that I'm still contributing. But I know that I'm probably going to hit that number in the future anyways. And that's like a huge stress relief. And I think that would free up a lot of people to just go out there and make some different decisions and challenge themselves and take on new roles and maybe travel, you know, a little bit for work and just all sorts of new opportunities open up when you know that, okay, I got the, one of the most important things I need to worry about in my life being retirement and money in retirement is taken care of. Like, that's amazing. Like that, this, the idea of that just is super exciting. How long will it take to reach fire? How long will it take to reach financial independence? This is totally depending, dependent on you and your goals. So if you're, depends what your number is. Um, right now, I think you need about a million and a half in retirement, uh, our generation, or I'm, I'm almost 30. And so we will probably need about a million and a half to $2 million in retirement to actually have a solid retirement. Um, so for us, uh, our plan is to be there by 45 years old and then obviously still work and still contribute. Um, but that, that's kind of our coast fire number, I should say, you know, in a sense. And uh, that's dependent on how much I make, how much we make, how much we save, how much we invest and the uh, the annual rate of return that we can uh, get out of those investments. And so your timeline is completely dependent on that. And there's a whole bunch of calculators out there. I got one on the website and there's a bunch out there that help you run those numbers, but that's really something that's going to be very unique and personal to you. Uh, but you can make it go faster. You can make it go slower. It just depends on how aggressive you want to be. Uh, we already covered what a savings rate is. And so the example I provided is if your income is $100,000 a year and you save $30,000 per year, then your savings rate is 30%. How does savings rate affect FIRE? Uh, the higher your savings rate, the more cash you're able to invest. The more you invest, the more potential your wealth has to grow. A higher savings rate is directly related to reaching financial independence quicker. And more savings also helps reduce debt and the ability to pay for costly emergencies. So when you get into like the high savings rate lifestyle, you have the ability to cash flow a lot of things. And if you're a Dave Ramsey listener, uh, this is probably going to sound really familiar. Um, cash flowing is like the best thing you can do in pretty much any situation. So for example, Kayla and I, we're going to cash flow her master's degree. And that's a really exciting thing to do, um, being that it's going to give us a lot of value for the pretty much the rest of her life. And we're not going into debt to, to achieve that. So it's a really great investment for us. And so when it comes to emergencies, cash flowing is like, hey, you know, somebody in the family broke their arm. Well, let's say the medical bill is like $2,000. Well, if you have a high savings rate, you may be able to cover that or get it paid off relatively quickly. And that's really great rather than having like medical debt out there in addition to credit card debt and maybe auto loan debt and student loan debt. All those things start to build up and you don't want emergency like debt like overlapping each other. That's just something that you don't want for your life because it just easily can get like super out of control. What is an emergency fund? An emergency fund is the amount of is an amount of cash that you've set aside for emergency expenses, typically held in a high yield savings account to reduce the effect of inflation on the emergency fund. The emergency fund needs to be readily available for quick access should an emergency occur. An emergency fund is not an investment. An emergency fund is your self-insurance against uh, life, against things that can happen in life that we know are going to happen. We know that the heating and air is going to go out sometime in the future. We know that an accident is going to happen 
sometime in the future, more than likely in some form. There's going to be some expense that you didn't budget or you didn't plan for that's going to come out of the blue and potentially wipe out your finances. So the point of an emergency fund is for that not to happen, to have a certain amount of money set aside that allows you to be self-insured against any downturn in your life. And it's liquid cash. You need to be able to access it probably within a day or a few days. And it's really your security blanket. So how much should I save an emergency fund? This is different for each person. It's different for the amount of responsibility that you have. If it was just me and I didn't have a family, I'd probably have a pretty small emergency fund. But because I have a wife and kids and a house and animals and vehicles and um, assets and a lot of responsibility, it needs to be higher. So opinions tend to differ when it comes to the size of an emergency fund, but we're comfortable when we have $10,000 in liquid cash in our bank account. That to us is a solid emergency fund because we can, you know, the average emergency is is like less than $1,000 for a family. And so it would take a really large emergency to wipe out our emergency fund completely. And if that was the case, we would probably be able to access some of our uh, additional assets. Um, I'll bet it would take a little longer to access that, but we're really comfortable having $10,000 liquid cash and putting the rest of that money to work. Typical practice is to have six to 12 months of living expenses. If so, for example, if you have 4000 a month in expenses um, on your budget, and then that's not like leisure stuff. That's not like your gym membership. That's like your house, your food, your transportation, um, the things that you absolutely have to have. Uh, so let's say it's $4,000 a month in expenses. A six-month emergency fund would be $24,000 in a cash savings account. Where do I keep an emergency fund? I recommend keeping an emergency fund in a high yield savings account. There's a bunch of them to choose from today and most of them are like online brokers, but even some credit unions are getting into the high yield game. And a high yield savings account is a type of deposit account offered by financial institutions. They usually offer a higher interest rate than traditional savings accounts. And so the idea is that if you keep your money in a high yield savings account, uh, it'll help uh, fight against in the effect of inflation. So a common problem with the people have with keeping money in the bank is like, well, this money over time is going to, you know, it's a bad investment because it's the, vol- the, the value is going down because of inflation. And it's like, yeah, that's the price you're paying to be able to respond to an emergency or a crisis and be able to absorb that without taking out additional debt. So really, that's a small price to pay to avoid higher like higher rates of debt with that being said we keep ours in ally Um, we have a savings account in ally and at the time we joined it it was like 2.2 percent interest rate and that's variable and so now it's down to like one percent but you know as the economy shifts it'll uh, these accounts shift as well so sometimes it'll be um, the yield will be very low and then at times the yield will be uh, will be much higher but either way it's a lot higher than what you'd get out of a traditional savings account um, you know that people used to just keep all their money in how much do I invest for fire? Um, so I recommend obviously anything above the common 15% that people tell you to invest for retirement. Um, that's for like traditional retirement and starting young when you enter the workforce. I would say 20, 30, 40, or 50%, somewhere in that range is going to be where you want to be. You want to be saving that much and actually contributing that much, not just saving it, but contributing it uh, each month. 
what is compound interest? Uh, compound interest is how your money works for you. Uh, it's interest on interest. So investing will earn you a return on your initial deposit as well as the earnings. In other words, if you invest $1,000 and earn 8%, you will earn $80. The next year, your return will be from the $1,080 rather than the original $1,000. So the more time you have in the market, the more dramatic compound interest uh, can be. And it's really just an amazing, it's small things done over to a lot of small things done over time and they add up to a really big effect. The compound effect is probably one of my favorite books of all time. And you can grab the link on my resources page. And it's just, it's a small book. It's an easy book to understand. And it's really applying the compound effect to your whole life. And it works out when you're looking at diet, exercise, healthy lifestyle choices, finances, Basically, your whole life, anything that you desire to change, get better at, or improve over the long term, it's just a result of many small uh, correct, correct changes that you make. Where to invest for FIRE? When investing for FIRE, you have several options. When it comes to investing accounts, you can have like a traditional or Roth 401k, a Roth IRA, 403b, 457b, uh, self-employed IRAs. There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, these are called tax advantage accounts. And some provide benefits like tax breaks, early dispersal without penalty, and others. And so you really want to kind of educate yourself on those different accounts, what you have access to. And if you don't have access to anything like that, you're probably working, I guess, um, hourly or less than full time. And so you may want to uh, look at what it takes to get up to the level where you have the ability to contribute to something like a 401k or a Roth IRA. And Roth IRAs are for pretty much anybody. You have to just make as much uh, as you're going to contribute. So if you're going to max out your Roth IRA this year at like 6000 bucks, you have to at least have $6,000 on, on a W-2 or earned income. Uh, why, why do people talk about index funds so much when it comes to the FIRE movement? Well... Index funds are just super passive. They're easy to understand. They have low fees typically, uh, allow for easy diversification, and have a long history of market returns typically. So you have a couple options when you decide to start investing in the stock market. One way is to go out and buy shares of Nike, buy shares of Apple, buy shares of, of Tesla individually. Well, the problem there is, is that Tesla is like $500 a stock uh, or a share, I should say. Nike is expensive. Microsoft's expensive. Apple's expensive. And so for you to have a good diversification, to have a portfolio that owns multiple companies, um, it's called diversification, spreading your assets out in different markets and different companies, different asset types. Um, and that uh, is really difficult to achieve when you're just getting started because you don't have a, a ton of money. Like It's likely you don't have a ton of money to invest right away. So an index fund allows you to put money in for maybe the price of like 80 bucks a share. And that money is pooled with other people that also do the same thing. And it's buying power for that that index fund or the firm that manages that to go out and buy shares of other companies. And so you have access to you know the top, the top tech stocks. Uh, Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, right? Or yeah, close. And um, you can do that just being an average Joe. And index funds are great because they have low fees. They're not active, actively managed. The ones we talk about aren't actively managed and they typically uh, track or outperform the market. And so they're really exciting to be a part of. And some of the common ones are VTSAX, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, or, you know, there's a whole host of them. There's real estate index funds. 
There's index funds focused on specific markets or segments of the markets or industries. There's so much to it and there's so many to choose from, uh, but I write about them pretty extensively on the website. So you can, you can go into the investing category and, and read about a lot of the ones that I've personally invested in and uh, that are common in the FIRE community. What market return should I expect? Well, if you're investing in the total stock market or the S&P 500, a good benchmark is to at least pace the S&P 500. Uh, this is why the VTSAX is so popular um, because that's exactly what it does. Uh, so over the long term, the S&P 500 has averaged 8% average returns. Some years it earns a lot more, like this last year, almost 30%, and uh, some years a lot less, like in the recession or the housing crisis. But over time, it's generally increased in value. If you can at least track the S&P 500, you can uh, reach financial independence at some point in the future. The only other thing that, you know, the other parts of the equation that it comes down to is time, the amount that you invest, and that's it. Time and the amount you invest. So um, if you already know kind of what ex what to expect when it comes to annual returns, then you just, you've just got to take care of the other stuff. Can you beat the stock market? Uh, many have tried. Most have failed. Uh, you may have fleeting moments of success if you're stock picking, if you're trading or day trading. Um, I mean, there are people that make an awful lot of money doing that, but they are what I would probably call the one percenters. And there's a, r a real reason why a lot of the gurus that I, I used to follow back in the day um, started selling courses. And it's because they weren't as successful all the time as they showed themselves to be on social media and on YouTube. And so they ended up selling their courses to really to probably make up the losses. And while I agree that there is uh, success to be had in day trading and swing trading, it's not, uh, it's not for people like me. It's not for people that have a family, for people that work full time, for people that uh, don't have time to sit in front of a chart all day or a couple hours a day. Um, it's just not conducive to my lifestyle. And so I would rather uh, work for my money uh, invest that money and save and, uh, you know, do something other than day trade. And so that's, and the success rate is so low on day trading that it's just not worth the risk to my family. The risk is like, it's high risk. That's like as high of risk as you can take. And I played that game for a little while early on in my adult life. And, uh, that's the main reason why I shy away from it today. Uh, so yeah, you can probably beat the stock market, but history tells us that over time, you're not likely to most actively managed uh, mutual funds don't. And these people are paid a lot of money uh, to be pros at this stuff. And they have some of the best technology available today to do just that. And most of them can't do it. Should I have a 100% stock portfolio? This is a big one. And I, I would say probably not. And I'm not a certified financial planner. So my take my advice with a grain of salt. Um, but currently, other than our house, we are 100% invested in stocks. Uh, we don't own any bonds. And some of the stocks are REITs, our real estate investment uh, funds. Um, but uh, yeah, they're all pretty much stocks. And there, I have a post about it and why it's not completely crazy. And if you have a really long investing horizon, like 20 plus years, like I've never really understood this. So bonds, they provide a what's called a smoothing effect. And what that is, is that instead of like the really vigorous up and down, like mountain peaks and, you know, valley bottoms that a stock is going to do or, ch or charts going to have. It's more like rolling hills. So it really makes, it's a smoothing effect. It really makes it easier to ride the highs and ride the lows. Uh, really more of like a flat, a flat experience. And that's like the only, the only real benefit. Like, yeah, some years, 
you know, bonds are going to be a smarter investment, I guess. But over the long term, they're never a better investment over 20 plus years. And it just doesn't, if you look at it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I, I challenge you to go read the, uh, the post on it. I'm not going to get into it right now, um, but in lieu of time and uh, respecting your time, but it's an interesting argument. And I would say that there is a, a definite um, pros and cons to both, but I don't have any desire today to get into the bond uh, game or own any bonds whatsoever, probably in the future, but not today. And I'm not, uh, m- the money today is I can ride, I can ride out a recession uh, in my portfolio today. And when that recession is over and the market recovers, however long that takes, uh, I'll be in a better position than if I owned a whole bunch of bonds. Um, because I don't plan on selling anything anytime soon. And, uh, probably for another 30 years. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting argument. If you have any comments, I'd love to hear them. Shoot me a message, hit me up on Twitter at fire the fam. I think that's my Twitter handle. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. I hope you got some value out of this episode. I know it was a little, uh, you know, a lot of talking and a little um, probably a a refresher for some of you, but um, I wanted to put a frequently asked question uh, post out there or episode out there for those that maybe don't know what the fire movement is and are kind of uh, on the fence about the whole thing or about personal finance. So check out the website, firethefamily.com. You can read through all those FAQs that I just talked about. You can listen to this when it goes live. Um, I will probably sometime this evening, we'll have a, uh, uh, a link to the transcript if you want to read through that. And then um, as always, uh, if you want to join my newsletter, there's a little extra content, some videos that go out as well as some resources and things that I'm going to be providing to people that join uh, that newsletter. And you can get that just by going to the website. Um, So thank you so much again for spending some time with me here today. I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful work week. And uh, if you, uh, if you have any, um, you know, input or questions or anything you want me to cover on a future episode, uh, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. But other than that, have a great night. Thank you so much.